Your brain might just help you learn something in more ways than one. Welcome to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Dr. Bell is a licensed marriage and family therapist. He'll be your guide on this crazy exploration designed to bring life back into our existence. Can you become the element of change in an ever-changing world? Possibly, but you've got to listen on to find out. Now, here is the host of Absurd Psychology, Dr. Gary Bell. Welcome, everybody. All right, today we're talking about the strength of commitment. You know, if if you think about it, you know, what does the word commitment suggest? It, it usually evokes a really strong sense of intention and focus. Uh, it's typically accompanied by a statement or a purpose or a plan of action. And oftentimes we realize and utilize this word to regard our proclamations that we make about the seriousness of our relationships. Uh, for example, you know, I'm in a committed relationship or I'm completely committed to this relationship. In those circumstances, what exactly are we saying? We take it for granted that the word or the expression means the same thing to all of us. But I can assure you, it probably doesn't. You know, the thing about it is, if you go through life and you use the word try, I'm going to try, I'm going to try to do this, I'm going to try to do that. Try is one of the most worthless words in the English language, simply because there's always a back door. Anything that is worth looking at, anything that is worth exploring, anything that is worth investing in, has to have a will, a real commitment. I will. You know, a will is how we do marriage. If we do a try, which most people do, as far as marriage is concerned, oftentimes we take that back door and we take the hit financially and we walk through life, do it again, and probably do it again, a divorce. And so what I'm trying to get down to is we have to take our commitments much more serious. People that are perfectionistic have a very hard time with commitments because they want everything to be perfect. Life's not meant to be perfect. We are not perfect. And so the deal is, is that if you're trying to design a million ways to make something work for you, that is not what commitment is about. Commitment is a relationship. It's a relationship with you and something in your life that has meaning. And the thing is, when we commit to that, we have to learn experientially. That means that things are not always going to go the way we plan, but we have to ebb and flow to make it work. And that's why a will is always the most important ingredient in a marriage. You know, relationship commitments are typically statements about behavior or proposed outcomes. For example, I'm committed to you suggests that I may not be seeking another relationship and that I'm going to be monogamous. You know, the institution of marriage is most identified with the pledge of commitment. And, and, and it's an undertaking of legal vows to substantiate our pledge to fidelity. But it's also, if you think of it in a Christian way, it is a covenant. It's not only a contract, it's not only a commitment, but it is a covenant before God. And so, you know, when people make commitments, it needs to be serious. It needs to be done thoughtfully, and it does not need to have an emotional 
just jump at whatever uh, uh, impulse that we have in front of us. Because if we offer ourselves to make impulsive emotional decisions, we have a tendency to be reactive and go back on our decisions. If we make uh, decisions responsibly, that means that we've added a logical component and have come to a conclusion that this is probably the best thing for the relationship, for myself, for my children, for whatever my life is impacting my work. The bottom line is we go that way. We go that way and we develop what's called character. Character is based on your commitment to making a decision. And the more that we follow our character and the more commitments we make to our decisions, which doesn't mean we can't change our mind, but the more we stay within that, the more we define how people can love us because we make decisions. Unfortunately, many people walk around indecisively trying to please everybody else and they forget who they are and they lose relationships because no one has respect for them because they don't stand for anything and they don't make decisions. They're just jellyfish bouncing about, not really doing much with their life except for mediocrity. Nothing hard is going to make your life harder. Anything in your life that is hard is going to make your life easier. That's why commitment is so important. It is important that we do hard so that other people need us for the things that we have accomplished that we've done hard at. And it's very important for us to commit to that so that people can rest easy knowing that we have a deep committed knowledge in the area in which we are sought for. You know, their the, the statistics reveal that even when we formalize our commitments through marriage, there's a much likelihood of failure and success. And so after all, more than half of the marriages experience infidelity. And we're all aware of the divorce rate being well above 60%. So and most of our honored commitments aren't kept. And perhaps we need to understand why that's so. Well, I would suggest that has a lot to do between the try and the will. Are you a try person or are you a will person? If you're a will person, you're actually going to be above mediocrity and moving your life in a direction that is fulfilling. The difficulty is that we're making promises about behaviors and outcomes, and our integrity is at stake. If you're a try person, you do not value integrity. If you are a will person, you do value integrity because you will do what it takes. It doesn't make you want, not mean you're not gonna make mistakes, you will. But a will person is more concerned about integrity. And integrity is what makes your life magnetic. If you want to have other people in your life when you're old and stinky and demanding and medically frail, then have integrity because that is what's going to keep people in your life. If you don't have it, nobody wants to barely be around that. And so, you know, a lot of people don't think about the consequences of their early decisions. And so, you know, if we think about it, the difficulty is that we're making promises about these behaviors and outcomes, but we're ignoring the process necessary to achieve the goals. You know, imagine uh, a student offering a commitment to, de to, to attain straight A's, but not devoting themselves to the studies. That's kind of silly. The commitment simply becomes lip service without the earnest devotion towards achieving the end result. That means that we 
have to accept the fact that we have to put the work in to learn experientially. And when we learn experientially, we are also involved in what's called a scientific process, which means there's going to be failure. It's what we learn from the failure that's important, not the failure itself. In relationships, the outcome that I'm referring to are, are notions such as continued love, that's consistency, happiness, the search for joy in your life, fidelity. It, it is mindless to think that we might achieve outcomes if we don't achieve the focus on the process required to reach these goals. Marriage is a process, it's not an outcome. It's continuously feeding your life into outcomes as you go by. And hopefully both of you, if you're married, are working together to make your individual goals easier and to support each other in getting to that. You know, the only reason people are together in a relationship is how they feel about each other, how they feel. It's not a logical relationship. It is a feel-based relationship. And that's why you have children, because how you feel about each other. And so, you know, how often do you hear people committed to the process of a relationship? For example, what might happen if we committed to working on and sustaining our levels of emotional intimacy and learning the necessary tools to support that process? What if we actually learned the uncalculable value of having empathy and having compassion for people in our life and having empathy and compassion for our children in our life and for our partner in our life? What if that were what we lead with rather than our own selfish, egotistical goals and resentments? You know, if you talk about your issues in a relationship, what you want to talk about is how to solve them. If you're in a committed relationship, an I will relationship, you have no other choice but to resolve conflict. But if you're in a try relationship, you do not have to resolve conflict. You just collect resentment and you stand there and you basically keep challenging your marriage to get divorced or your relationship to break up because it won't meet your personal goals and your personal needs. But a I will means I will have to I will have to compromise in every possible way to get to the center where both of us can have some satisfactory answer. You know, an outcome is but a, a monetary snapshot of life. It's momentary. It's just a moment in time. And, and, and so if we look for outcomes, we are very impatient people. Impatient people don't do well in life because they don't live between the outcomes. We have to live in process, 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 process. That is what is important always process. And that is where integrity is. In truth, it is just a moment extracted from the flow of our life experience as far as an outcome is concerned. Once an outcome happens, it passes. And that's it. And we cannot live for outcomes. We have to live for process. And to be fully committed, you flow into that process and stay in that process and keep investing in the process. What we need to look at is the flow of experience and the quality of how we are choosing to live. That's called meaning. That's called living in the moment through the process rather than the moment at the greatest time in the sports uh, game or in the moment when you make a whole bunch of money or in some moment where you get some great success 
or maybe your family experiences some great success. That's not what we live for. We live for the meaning of the experience leading up to that and the celebration is the outcome. And that's all it is. You know, we learn to commit fully to the process, then the outcomes will be what they should be. But if we commit merely to the outcome and ignore the process, then we've sabotaged actually both. So it's a phrase of of a lovesick partner never wants to hear said about their significant other, a phrase uttered by the uh, the ornery grandmothers everywhere when, when, when a year of dating passes without someone popping the question, oh my gosh, you know, are they ever going to do this? They've got commitment issues. They've got problems. Well, you know, this day and age is very complicated. And here's what's interesting is what used to be 18 is now 32. And so old people have a lot of judgment on younger people when they don't get married in their 20s. But the fact is they're not mature enough. It's till the 30s nowadays because they're faced with so many choices during the 20s that they still don't know who the hell they are. They have to experience who they are. They have to experience making decisions. They have to experience having failure. They experience having mistakes and they adapt and they keep adapting and that's how they learn and grow. That's what's going on these days. And so we need to understand that pressuring young people to marry early is not always the best solution. The other thing is nobody teaches you how to be married unless you want to go to premarital counseling. That can teach you some things about how to be married. Nobody teaches you how to have kids. It's your parents that do that, and 65% of those get divorced. So, you know, come on. Our role models suck in this world, and so we have to navigate very carefully and very steadily. And what's important is that when we commit, we have to commit knowing that there's going to be problems, knowing there's going to be issues, and we have to work it out. No other choice. Stop farting around. Stop trying to be selfish. Work it out. That's commitment. When we change the nature of family dynamics and relationships in this day and age, successful marriage in this day and age it becomes something of a mystery. You know, how do how do previous experiences shape the future commitment? What's considered a commitment? How does it last through decades of, of married life? You know, the, these things are always a floating target century, excuse me, decade after decade after decade, year after year after year, because we are evolving so quickly. But commitment in relationship psychology is a construct that is defined differently than depending on the nature. You know, it entails a concern for the future stability of the relationship along with the desire for the relationship to continue. What it means is you're constructing a safe harbor for both of you to go out and journey to sea and come back to each other and refuel, not to do battle, not a third world country harbor, a safe harbor. That is what you want to construct in a marriage. And that safe harbor has to take in all of the dynamics of both individuals that commit to each other. You know, commitment encompasses a lot of factors that bind individuals together, whether or not a relationship is a healthy one. But here's the deal. How someone relates to the idea of trust is what makes all relationships wobble. If you don't trust your job, if you don't trust your boss, if you don't trust your married partner, if you don't trust your children, if you don't trust your your financial advisor, all of these things can, and so many more, friends, 
everything, it's all related to trust. And if you don't have a good relationship with trust, if you have a childhood attachment style that is anxious attachment or avoidant attachment, you're going to have a problem in a committed relationship because you're always dealing with trust. Can I trust you? Can I not trust you? Can I trust you? And you're always looking for reasons not to trust. And if you're an avoidant attachment, you stonewall and you create no communication and that can create enormous problems in a relationship. That is a try. Anxious attachments are try people. Avoidant attachments are try people. And so when we step into that, if you have childhood attachment issues, if you have trust issues, you need to deal with them before you commit. Because when you get in the relationship, you're going to project those problems on your partner. And the deal is you can love someone and not trust them. But when you trust someone, your love will grow. There's friends that you've had that you haven't seen for 10 years and you come back together and you trusted each other that that relationship will grow like a rocket. It just continues to. But once you interject trust issues into a relationship, you're basically tearing the binder off a book. And that is what keeps people together, and that is what you have to work in in counseling. It's not love that you work on in counseling. It is how to trust each other. Well, the bridge to trust is I have faith in you. I have faith that this commitment to this new job will work. I have faith in my boss. I have faith in my children. Having faith is the bridge to allow the opportunity for trust to happen. You know, these childhood attachment styles – It really is something that we have to look at. You know, if you're the emotional bond that we develop in the first year of life is one of the most important uh, relationships that we learn trust at. And that is, can they read my cry? Can that mom, can that dad read my cry and understand my needs? And that is where we learn whether or not we can trust people. That's the beginning stage. That's a first relationship. That's the first thing we evaluate in this life. Am I safe? We're only safe if we know that our needs are going to be met. And a baby is completely dependent on mom and dad. If mom and dad are very selfish and argumentative, that creates safety issues. If they are very wobbly in who they are and they're very uh, uh, inconsistent in how they treat a baby, they're developing anxious attachment in that baby. So what you have to understand is we are a lot of our issues come from that first year in life and in that young childhood where we're learning whether or not we are safe. All right, we're going to take a quick break and we're going to come back and talk more about commitment and how it can strengthen our life. Come back. Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. Dr. Gary Bell is available for speaking engagements as well as teaching at your seminar or workshop and life coaching via telephone Skype or in person in the Seattle area. Dr. Bell brings his no-nonsense, straight-from-the-hip discussions each week on the show, but it doesn't stop there. Learn about motivation and psychology, one-couple marriage repair, a two-day workshop in Seattle, and more. Visit drgbmft.com today or call Dr. Gary Bell at 951-818-7856. That's drgbmft.com or 951-818-7856. 
Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. You are tuned in to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. If you have a question for Dr. Gary or his guest, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. That's easy enough, but if you want to send an email, it will take some thinking. Got a pen? The email address is drgbmft at sbcglobal.net. Or you can just click on Email Host on the Voice America page. Now, back to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Welcome back, everybody. We're talking about the strength of commitment in our lives. And, you know, um, commitment is really, really, really critical. But when caregivers are rejecting toddlers and infants, they are likely, those children are likely to show anxious, avoidant attachment styles. And it's marked by... Uh, little distress at separation, avoidance behavior upon reunion. That that means that they, they don't trust people to stay in their life, so they don't give them as much energy. And, and these patterns tend to extend beyond childhood. There's a lot of research that shows that a caregiver-infant bond can inform later connections with romantic partners. And so the bonding and the commitment components of an adult romantic love are remarkably similar to the love between parents and infants, including a strong longing to be around one another, discomfort when when uh, you don't see one another for long periods, and a keen awareness of the other person's needs. And so what's important and what's been demonstrated is that poor parenting in childhood, that means being less supportive and, and sensitive and more intrusive, or diminished conflict resolution as a teenager, which is less willing to compromise, less effective approach, increases the likelihood of an individual being lesser committed partner in an adult relationship. You know, and we need to evaluate that. And we need to evaluate that in premarital counseling is your levels of commitment and your levels of attachment, your levels of depression, your levels of anxiety. How pervasive are these things in your makeup and how do they reflect on how you commit in a relationship? You know, the 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 more specifically maladaptive attachment styles like anxious, avoidant, anxious, ambivalent or negative experiences in relationships can influence an individual's interpretation and response to current and future relationships in ways that may be harmful. If you think about it, if you've been rejected thorough, you know, consistently from two, three relationships and you go, OK, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with me? Well, it may not be what's wrong with you. It may be what's wrong with the people you attach to, the people you seek. A lot of people are insecure in this life, and they pick partners that have bigger problems than they do. And these anxious attachments, avoidant attachments, depressed, anxiety-ridden people, OCD people, all these people that cope with life – they can be a complete distraction from your own problems, and that allows you to focus on their problems rather than your own. And so oftentimes, people will attract themselves to people that have similar problems, but they have more pervasive – the person they're attracted to has more pervasive problems, so they can focus on fixing them rather than fixing yourself. You do not marry 
you do not get in a relationship, if you want to be healthy, to change anybody. You adapt to each other. That's the job. It's not to control each other or to change each other. You hope you will influence because influence is all that we have in this life is the ability to influence. We definitely, when it comes to other people, other things, animals, we influence. We don't control. And that's an important ingredient that we all have to accept in this life. If you're a good influencer, hopefully you have integrity, hopefully you have commitment, hopefully you have confidence. Those are the people that are going to make the biggest impact on this life. If you're non-committal, if you're not good uh, with, with being consistently strong, and if you don't have great self-esteem, don't expect yourself to reach your best potential. You know, it's not arrogant to believe in yourself. It's not arrogant to, to understand what you're good at. That just means you understand what you're good at. It's not arrogance, and a lot of people equate it to that. But what's really important is that if we have uh, partners that have a lot of negativity within themselves, a lot of self-esteem issues, they have a tendency to project those issues on their relationship partner. And they tend to say things to their partner that they actually hate about themselves. And so what we have to understand when we make a commitment is what kind of person am I joining in this life? And have I done enough thought to understand what kind of issues that person has? And can I differentiate when they're projecting their crap onto me and when they're actually stating their needs? Can I differentiate that? And that's a really strong question. But you have to be willing to do that and you have to be committed to understanding the psychology of the person you love and are with. And, and it's important to remember that no individual is doomed by their past. You know, just because you have a rough childhood, just because you've had traumatic events in your childhood, you still have the free will to have an adult life. You have the ability to make decisions in your life and to change yourself. You don't have to bind yourself to what your old narrative is and what your parents' narrative is and what your family's narrative is, what your teacher's narrative is about you. Change your narrative to be the person you want to be. Get an image ahead of yourself. Set up a goals ahead of yourself, of your life, and set like five years what I want things to look like, what, what I want things to be, and set your life on that course and don't divert. Verge. Stay there, and then you will change. You will adapt. We are adaptive creatures. We are not meant to stay in our childhood. Unfortunately, a lot of people do, and those people oftentimes have trouble with commitment or committing to unhealthy things. You know, what influences commitment? You know, childhood attachment styles, prior experiences, dependence on a relationship is more directly associated with other factors. You know, uh, that commitment is, is from an interdependence theory, which is more about codependency, is that commitment is determined by the level of satisfaction experienced in the relationship and the quality of available alternatives and investment in the size of your investment in the relationship. You know, an individual becomes more dependent upon a relationship's benefits, resources. When they have that, they tend to become more committed to the relationship itself. And that is an important thing, that we have to be humble. We have to be vulnerable to our partner and be willing to submit each other to each other based on each other's needs and how we survive. We have to give in and give back.
and we have to support each other without looking for a continuous thank you and continuous recognition. We have to get that from ourselves. Relationship satisfaction refers to an individual's assessment of whether their needs are met in a relationship. That can include an intellectual, uh, compan- uh, compassionate, uh, companion-wise, uh, uh, the sexual needs, the friendship. It shows a positive relationship to commitment. And the more a person is committed and feels their needs are met in a, rel- in a relationship, the more dependent they become and the more committed they feel. However, egotistical people will collect resentment and feel entitled. And if you don't meet my expectations, I'm going to have this enormous emotional reaction towards you and I'm going to hold resentment towards you. That's what our ego does. And people in relationships oftentimes live in their ego rather than their compassionate empathetic soul. And even if you're going to live in your ego, the least you could do is go back to your soul, your compassionate part of yourself, and apologize for half the crap you've done to hurt other people. You know, it's amazing that uh, we want to have a a quality in our life. That means we're on a journey. And if you're with someone that just wants to sit in front of the television all night and all day, well, face the fact, they're probably depressed. They probably have lacked opportunity. They probably lack motivation. They probably lack a lot of things, and maybe they even have an addiction. But the bottom line is we have to understand that if we're going to marry ourselves to people that don't want to grow in life, if we're going to commit ourselves to people who are stale and depressed and just mediocre and have no goals, no desire to go beyond, no desire to grow and journey and connect their life with other people – you're going to find yourself stifled. And and so, you know, if you're a smart person, go to the room where people are smarter than you. If you are a person of bad habits, go to a room where people have better habits than you have. If you are moody, go to a room where people are more emotionally stable than you are. If you want to grow, that's what you need. But we have to do the same thing in our committed relationships, in our jobs, in our life. All of our commitments need to expect us and push us to grow. That is what we do. We grow, adapt, grow, adapt, and that's how we have great lives. But you have to go out to life with the faith that good things will happen. And when you make a commitment, you have to do I will and stay in that commitment. But you also need to expect yourself to learn from that commitment. And that is a very, very important for all of us to have wisdom and integrity in our decisions. Leaps of faith. We don't have the answers on the end of the rainbow. We have to take a leap. And that's life. Take lots of chances Take lots of calculated risks, and hopefully you both together will learn how to have that journey together and ebb and flow through life. You know, you have to understand making commitment involves an investment size, and and, and that is huge. And, And when you look at your partner and you're committing to a human being or are you committing to a business, are they investing heavily in me? Or am I just another person they're hiring? Am I just their person and not their love of their life? You know, is what is the size of their commitment to me? Because that size is going to directly correlate to your own feeling about yourself. And so if you're going to be with people that don't value you, you are losing out. And you need to find people in your life and places in your life, friendships in your life where you have value. If you have a relationship in life and you don't have value – 
find people in your life that do value you and stay there and add that to your life because you can't afford to live without it. If you look at people that are happy, they have relationships. They have healthy relationships with people who celebrate each other's lives, give to each other, provide opportunities and make memories together. That's important. That's important. That doesn't mean you have to go get divorced if, if you're, you're married some slug that doesn't do anything with their life. But the bottom line is you have to have that. So you commit more resources and more size of investment in the things that do bring good into your life. You know, the real, uh, relationships, especially in psychology, provides us with a valuable framework which to approach things. And something still missing from a conversation is a thing called wisdom. And you have to go places where wisdom is found. And what's really interesting is if you look at older people, oftentimes older people of integrity oftentimes have a lot of wisdom. And we need to go towards that and embrace that because they have a lot of merit and a lot of value. But if they want to tell you how to live, how to do this, how to do that, how to make a decision, that's not what you need from old people. What you need old people is wisdom and guidance about how to ebb and flow through life. It's not to tell you how to live. You know, love is about self-sacrifice. And that is wisdom. That means I'm willing to be self-disciplined. I'm willing to manage my own crap. I'm willing to take responsibility for my mistakes. I'm willing to make take responsibility for my existence on this planet, my decisions on this planet. That in itself is the essence of maturity and wisdom. You know, there's a lot of research that confirms that healthy self-sacrifice is beneficial to relationships, more generally improving a relationship's quality and diminishing conflict. When people are fully committed, there is a lot more grace because we know where we're headed, we know what we have to do, and we accept the fact that we make mistakes. So for instance, if you're driving to Florida and you accidentally end up uh, going from Indiana to New York instead of Florida, we know we wanted to go to Florida, but we ended up in New York because one or the other was asleep or whatever. Well, then go down to Florida and deal with it. You understand, we did this, we messed it up, and we'll get to Florida. It's kind of like that. It's kind of like understanding we're going to make bad choices, but we don't blame each other for it. We just move through it. We move through it, and that is what makes us what's called resilient. If you look at the Bible of anybody that that is actually um, was actually written about of any kind of achievement in the Bible, the one quality that all of them had was the lessons of resiliency, and that is what it takes to be in this life, to be successful in this life, is to be resilient. You stay with the goal, you stay with your commitments, you stay hard on that, and you do hard, and you will learn, and you will grow, and you will have a good life. If you've ever found yourself changing your mind in the middle of a purchase, only to feel pressured to stick with your earlier decision to buy it, uh, that's not a good thing. That's telling you, hey, I better listen because I'm probably going to make an emotional decision and I haven't landed on a logical reason to buy this. Impulse buying is full of emotional decision making. And we regret those things. And people that end up taking stuff back constantly are always making emotional decisions. And, and you know, if it's easy to walk away from something, walk away. Give yourself a few minutes to think about it.
and then make a choice. Think about it. If you can't get to thought and all you think about is emotion, it's probably not the time to buy something. When you commit, you're going to feel stronger if you make that commitment for logical reasons. You know, the rule of commitment is a type of social norm, and, and it's often used by, by, by people in business and marketing, salespeople, to get consumers to make purchases. But according to that, we typically feel obligated to follow through with something after we've made a public commitment. So, for instance, you get in a car, a car salesman is going to be like, hey, you got to drive this car. You got to feel this car. Ooh, what does it feel like? How does it feel to drive this? Look at all these gadgets. Look at all these great things. Listen to some music. Ooh, look at that. I can listen to podcasts. I can do this, that, the other. All right. You know, heated seats. Cool. I got all this great stuff. All of a sudden, they get you excited, excited, excited. Then you get to the dealer. Then you get to the price. And the price is well above what you can afford. But they've got you so excited about the car that you want to buy the car instead of understanding what you logically need in your life. And that's when you need to step back. That's when we all should step back. And that includes commitments to relationships. We have to go back to logic. Is this going to be a great choice for me to be married to this depressed, anxious person who has trust issues? Probably not. Do you think you're going to overcome that? Probably not. If you've got somebody that has commitment issues, probably not a good thing. If you've got a partner who is indecisive, probably not a good thing to be around that kind of thing. That doesn't create a very advantageous life when you have people in in your life like that. You know, uh, 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 the power of commitment can sometimes lead you to stick to decisions that are not necessarily in your best interest. Um, But the tendency isn't always for a bad influence on our behavior. In fact, you might even find that you use the rule of commitment to help inspire positive behavior changes. For example, imagine that you're trying to stick to a goal like giving up smoking or losing weight or running a marathon, making some type of public declaration about your goals, such as announcing it to your friends and family might make you feel pressured to stick with it. And since you made a public declaration about your goal, the rule of commitment can help you feel pressure to stick with it, and now you may achieve your objective. That's a good thing. But now we have to look at fear. It's natural for people to feel anxious when making big life choices, you know, especially when you're committing to another person. But for some, the idea of committing, whether it be a new job or a new relationship, brings on intense feelings of fear and an urge for avoidance. And this commitment phobia, as it goes beyond what some people call commitment issues, is fear. And anything in this life that is going to not be able to reach its greatest goals is fear-based. All right, we're going to take a quick break, and we're going to come back and talk more about idea of fear and commitment. So come back. Change your world. Change your life. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. Dr. Gary Bell is available for speaking engagements as well as teaching at your seminar or workshop and life coaching via telephone Skype or in person in the Seattle area. Dr. Bell brings his no-nonsense, straight-from-the-hip discussions each week on the show, but it doesn't stop there. Learn about motivation and psychology, one-couple marriage repair, a two-day workshop in Seattle, and more. Visit drgbmft.com today or call Dr. Gary Bell at 951-818-7856. That's drgbmft.com or 951-818-7856. 
Unravel the Mysteries of Metaphysics every week on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Join host Barb Crowley as she and her insightful guest share what's been learned behind the veil, going just beyond our five senses. Now you can see things with an entirely different point of view. Tune in for Metaphysics, A View Through the Veil, broadcasting live every Friday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Use it to explore your advantage and deeper understanding. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. You are tuned in to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. If you have a question for Dr. Gary or his guest, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. That's easy enough, but if you want to send an email, it will take some thinking. Got a pen? The email address is drgbmft at sbcglobal.net. Or you can just click on Email Host on the Voice America page. Now, back to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Welcome back, everybody. All right, talking about the strength of commitment. Now, I got to tell you, you know, when fear enters, faith leaves. When faith enters, fear leaves. And what's important, if you're going to live a fear-based life, you have to learn also to take a swipe at faith and hopefully land on that. Because people that live in fear especially if you're going to call yourself a Christian, you're going to have a really hard time being a Christian. If you're going to be a Christian and if you're going to live life to its fullest as a human being of any faith, of any background, of any culture, you have to be faith-based. That's important. You take leaps of faith, lots of leaps of faith. That's how we live life. If you're going to bind yourself to an anchor of somebody who is full of fear in their life and refuses to think any way different than fear, you're really pulling yourself down from your own uh, full potential and just allowing yourself to resonate wherever they resonate because you have to compromise with every fear-based choice they have, which means you completely uh, compromise your values. And so what's important to to understand is if you're going to develop relationships in life, you want to develop progressive relationships where people are looking ahead when they're looking at quality of life, quality in the moment, you know, quality of the relationship. That's important. You know, you know, uncertainty turns to fear and, and and then it affects our ability to make decisions. So choosing a college, signing a lease, quitting a job, other big decisions can naturally lead to, to anxiety. But if you live with a fear of commitment, these decisions are more difficult. And as a result, they're often postponed and in some instances left to other people to make, which my friend is called depression. Eventually, however, when you do what you feel rather than what you think, you lose the ability to tether your life to anything. If you're going to live by how I feel rather than what I think, you have given up your life to your emotions and your emotions change constantly. Phobia is a type of anxiety disorder. Someone living with it can experience a lot of anxiety and panic attacks, even thinking about what they fear. And so, you know, if you're going to live in the fear of commitment or commitment phobia, what that means is, do they love me? Do I love them? Uh, Do they value me? 
Are they rejecting me? Do they want to spend time with me? Are, are, are they cheating on me? Are they playing with me? You know, if you're always wondering if that's what they're doing in that paranoid state of mind, ask yourself another question. Can I control it? No, you can't. So you may as well have faith that they're not that person and see what answer you get and see what happens instead of living within your fear. It may be difficult for someone. You know, if my wife wants to leave me, she'll leave me. I can't control that. I'm not going to ever control that. If she's going to have an affair, I can't control that. There's nothing I could do. So why do why go through your life worried about what someone else is going to do to you? Just figure out what you would do if it happens and rest on that. And then don't worry about it anymore. Make a decision of what you would do if that were to happen and then move on. You know, there's a, there's a lot of signs of a commitment phobe. They may be unable to talk about the future of the relationship or get really anxious when topics arise. They're afraid of making commitments to a vacation or doing something together because we may not be together. They may talk about the future and leave you out of it. Uh, your conversations may, may uh, stay on a casual side after months of being together, which means that we don't know what each other is about. You know, they may feel like it's hard to foster intimacy in your relationship. They may push you away or get busy for a few days after an emotionally intimate situation or an event. They may have brought you too closer to them, so they reject you. They might avoid discussing future plans with you, even casual ones. They may dislike labels such as girlfriend or boyfriend or partner. Uh, they attempt at an emotional vulnerability, may be met with defensiveness or coldness or agitation. These are commitment phobes. Their past relationships may have been short, according to them, unimportant. They may also have experienced a traumatic relationship in the past. So we have to take into account of what we are committing to. If you're committing to a commitment phobe, you are putting yourself in a very vulnerable position. If you're putting yourself in a position of a job where they're not committed to their employees, where they don't vest in their employees very much, they don't have insurance benefits, they don't have any long-term concern for their employee, that means that that's probably not a business that you want to commit your life to or commit time to or commit your energy to. You know, to address commitment phobia, the first thing you have to be able to do is talk it out, have honest communication about your feelings, about your fears, about your thoughts, about what you would like, what would be healthy. Uh, you, 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 you boost their confidence by letting them feel that their self-esteem is important. That means that I'll be a good listener if I want to talk to a commitment phobe. Um, you know, I want to respect their boundaries. I don't want to badger them. If I have to badger them, I probably shouldn't be in a relationship with them because I'm having to beg them how to love me. And so, you know, dealing with people with commitment phobes, you have to understand you are not going to solve that. You are not going to solve it. They have to solve it. And that's all that can be done. You know, commitment is dedication to a particular person, organization, a, a relationship, a belief, a cause, a willingness to be vested. People are committed to an organization or truly believe that it's important. They show up, they follow through, and they stick with it. And the more people are committed, the greater the momentum you can generate in your life to whatever you commit to. You know, is there's a lot of reasons 
why it's important. The more committed people there are, the more effective they are at influencing others. If a whole group acts with determination and commitment, great numbers of people will really pay attention. People who are committed are the ones who don't take discouragement seriously. They don't give up. They understand what their intentions are. They understand what the outcomes are that they're wanting to look for. That is important to commitment. What are my intentions? What are my intentions and understanding what those outcomes could possibly be? You know, living a life of possibility calls for commitment and it calls for strength. If people are committed to an effort for a period of time, they will learn what they need to know to be more effective. And that goes for marriage. You know, people need time to try things out, make mistakes, and then figure out a strategy that works. It takes time to work together. It takes commitment to work together. And once you commit to a community that you've just moved to, once you commit to a job that you're taking, once you commit to a marriage that you have, all of a sudden things get better. They grow and grow and grow and grow. You know, we have to make decisions together. That means both have to vest. A business has to invest in an employee. An employee has to vest in the business. We also have to commit to overcoming obstacles to make life better for all of us. Also, we experience victory together. That's another part of a commitment because that reinforces why we're together in the first place. And that we need to model commitment to our children because they need to learn that they have to commit to make their life a better life. You know, it's really important to understand that if we're going to sustain a great life, we can't do it in a vacuum. We have to do it committing to others, committing to ourselves, and staying with it. You know, we have to look at what are our goals? You know, what's the vision of a life that is possible for us? What about the people who you work with? Are they healthy? Are they people that bring out the best in you? The length of time you invested in the group. Do you stay there just because of all the time you, you've been there and it's toxic or is it healthy? And you stay there because that is probably the healthier place to be, you know? And it's also the willingness to work on issues and discuss real issues that have toxic impacts on, on our lives. And when we're in a marriage, we have to be the same way. And when we have children, we have to have conflict in that way. But it can be safe. Adult conflict is being able to state your emotions and not do the Broadway production, not parent your spouse not act like another adult is a child. If you're going to act like that, you're arrogant and you're going to get in lots of fights because people don't like your tone. It's not what you say. It's how you say it. The other part of it is if we want to have adult conflict, we state our emotions, we state our reasons, we state how it impacts us. That's how we do adult conflict. It's safe. It's simple. It doesn't require humiliation. It doesn't require a lot of energy. But people that do unsafe conflict have lots of expectations by their ego. They expect, 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 and then somebody in that process is going to be a failure. And that is what creates that parent-to-child conversation that creates that nasty tone that you are a failure, that creates sarcasm, that creates passive-aggressive communication. Yeah, right. You know, th this dual message type of stuff – that's not healthy. It's not good for us to have that. We have to go back to the one simple thing. I prefer, I prefer, I prefer, I prefer. A preference is not offensive. Move your expectations to a preference. 
then you could communicate your needs and not offend anybody without an expectation. That means you don't have an emotional attachment and you can navigate a relationship very well by a preference. And if people did that more often, they would like each other more and they would be more committed. And that's an important thing that we have to understand. Our communication is critical and that includes our nonverbal communication. Nonverbal communication is 70%. It's called metacommunication. 70% of our communication is nonverbal. You got to be good at reading that and you got to be good at reflecting it back to make sure that what you're reading is what you think. You know, people commit to a group or an organization because they gain something. When you invite them to become involved, you're not only asking for their help, you're offering them an opportunity to do what? Work on issues that are important, benefit the community, benefit the business, meet and spend time with people that are like-minded and have like-minded goals, expand your skills, be a part of a team, learn how to lead, rise to a challenge, compromise, help each other out. Being needed is one of the basic primary things that all of us want in our life. If you want to be needed, you have to be a decisive person, you have to be a well-intended person, and you also have had to do hard things that other people have not done so that you have something to offer. People that are lazy and indecisive have a really hard time being needed, and then they get lonely and angry because nobody needs them or they're not valued in a relationship. That's because they're not strong enough to put themselves forward into life. Character is how you teach people how to love you, and that is a commitment to yourself to be healthy. You know, we also have to be open and clear about our principles, our goals, and, and we have to model commitment to ourselves. Everyone looks at a leader or a group to see if people are committed to that. If you care about the work, it will show in your attitude and action. If you care about your marriage, it will show in your attitude and your action. And so when we're making a commitment, it's not only a decision, it's an attitude. And we have to put emotion behind that. And if we want to be great people, we also have to be great listeners. That's our show. I'd l I love hearing from you. Um, you can reach out to me at any time. Uh, to do that, you do that through uh, my uh, webpage at voiceamerica.com, the, the empowerment channel. And, uh, you know, uh, it'd be nice to hear uh, what people have to say about their, their uh, thoughts and be able to construct shows because I get some of my best shows from the people who actually contribute their ideas to me. Now, remember, sleep is like death without the commitment. And most often, we're happy for our first 25 years and then we marry. And coping is life without a commitment. And if you were on the Titanic, would you regret waving off the desert, the, the dessert cart? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Thanks for listening, everybody. That's our show for this week. Please join Dr. Gary Bell for another edition of Absurd Psychology next Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Now go impress your friends and family with what you've learned today and have them tune in next week so they can be almost as smart as you.